it can be hard to pray for an hour straight, right? I mean, we have this 24-7 prayer thing coming up, and I'm guessing that, that one of the reasons we have, I think we only have five spots left, maybe four, so make sure you sign up for that, because later today we're going to open uh, up the the whole week to every church involved. And so I would be very disappointed if our church didn't fill all the 24 spots. And I might switch to another church, actually, uh, that, cares, that cares about prayer. And so, so I hope that we'll fill that up so I can stay. But, um, but one of the reasons I'm sure that there's still five spots left is that you, in your head, and I get this because I, I can be this way too, think, man, praying for an entire hour is going to be really difficult to do. I mean, you're just kind of scared, like, can I, can I actually think of that many things to say? And, uh, and again, uh, there's going to be prompts on the wall. There's going to be help in the prayer room. That's one of the reasons we want people to pray there. Uh, but I get that, and I understand that. And then I'm telling you, for me, like adding children, I have children into the equation, into the idea of trying to pray for an hour straight, and, and, and I, I'm kind of over this now, we're past this point, but when my kids were younger than they are, they're only four and two, I always say to them, when you were kids now, like we've come to that point, I was like, hey, when you guys were kids, you used to, I'm like, my daughter's four and my son's two, uh, but, but when they were younger than they are now, it seemed like, and I, I said this in some sermons, no matter how much earlier I got up to try to spend time reading the Bible, and praying, they would just get up earlier. And so eventually it felt like I was just going to be staying up later because I kept going early. It's like, well, I guess I'm going to be up at midnight, you know, trying to pray. And, and I know with, not just like trying to think of things to pray, right, for an hour, but just like all of your responsibilities, all of the things that you have to do, all of the stuff in life makes it difficult to carve out large chunks of time for prayer. And in this series, uh, for those of you that are just coming, first time here, first time here in one of these sermons, let me get you up to speed because we've seen a lot of things about prayer over the last six weeks. Next week we'll finish this series and then move into a series on the words that Jesus said from the cross. I'm really excited about that series. Uh, but, but we've seen this so far, that the Holy Spirit helps us in our prayers, that's good. But then we've seen we should be faithful in prayer and it's a part of love. We've seen that it helps uh, another person carry their struggle. We've seen that it protects us from Satan and what he wants to do in our lives. We've seen that it's uh, part of having God's peace. We've seen that we should pray about anything and everything. And we've seen that we should be devoted to prayer or tenacious in prayer. And while all of it might sound good, I think that each of us would say, well, well, if prayer is that big a deal and there's so many things that I should pray for, how can I possibly find time to do the prayer, to pray the prayers that I should be praying and, and if you're like me and you're thinking about this logically, I'm naturally a skeptic, then, then this question might come to your head. Well, well, should I just, am I supposed to just pray all day long, every day? Is that, is that what this series is about? Like I quit my job and I quit being a good spouse and I quit being a, a good parent and I quit you know, watching all TV and I quit doing anything fun and, and I just pray? Is that what this series is? is all about, should I just pray all day long? And the answer that we see in our passage today is yes, kind of. Uh, yes with a slant. I know, you were expecting me to say no, right? Like, but, but yes, kind of. And, and here's what we read in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Rejoice 
always. In the book of 1 Thessalonians, joy has been brought up to this point a lot of times. It's important, very important, I think, as we read the entirety of the passage we're going to read today, to note that the people in Thessalonica, where this letter is going to from Paul, whose words we've been studying in this series, the, this group of people, is, is they're facing some some very difficult things. They're, they're facing just natural hardships. They're facing persecution for their faith. And it seems like a bunch of people are dying. Uh, and they are wondering, like, well, if they die before Jesus comes back, does that mean that they're lost forever? So they're in, a, they're in kind of a tough spot between natural suffering and persecution and loved ones dying. I mean, if you were facing all of that at once, you would, you'd, be, you'd be stressed out. You'd be scared you'd be sad you'd be mourning and Paul says rejoice always well that's kind of crazy right I mean rejoice always in in first Thessalonians 1 6 he says you became imitators of us and of the Lord for you welcomed the message that's the gospel in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit and so apparently they have begun to learn in their Christian faith to rejoice despite their circumstances but Paul at the end of this letter as he's rattling off a bunch of other things that he needs to get in before he says sincerely Paul he says hey one more thing or a few more things rejoice always Continue to rejoice more and more. Grow in your ability to rejoice. In the context of our passage, joy is connected to our future salvation. And so part of being rejoicing, part of rejoicing, part of being joyful always is understanding that eventually we ultimately will when that things are going to turn out well for those of us who have embraced Jesus as our Savior. That's good news. It's hard to think like that, right? But it's good news. It's like watching a movie the second time. You're a little bit less stressed out, right? You kind of know that things are going to turn out all right. If you watch a sad movie, maybe it has the opposite effect. I don't know, but just for illustrative purposes, like you, you know that the team wins, you know, and you know that the guy gets the girl and the girl gets the guy. You know that they're going to get married. You know that everything's going to turn out. The cancer's going to go away. And so you watch a movie a little bit differently, just knowing the outcome. You're not as stressed. You're not biting your nails. And Paul, when he says to rejoice always, is in some way saying, you must remember the outcome of your faith. If you're a Christian, it means that if you have embraced the forgiveness of sin that Jesus has offered on the cross, and that means that eventually you will go up into heaven and you will spend eternity in a place where there's no sorrow, tears, mourning, struggle, or death. For this church in Thessalonica, it means the removal of all these things that, they, that they're dealing with. Someday all of this will be gone, and so right now you can celebrate the victory despite the circumstances. In Galatians 5, 2, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. We must allow for the Holy Spirit to, to move us if we're going to be rejoicing always it's a similar idea to Philippians 4 4 which we already looked at in this series rejoice in the Lord always and in first Thessalonians it's pretty clear that Paul has that same phrase in mind while he doesn't say it explicitly that we must rejoice in the Lord always we must rejoice knowing all that Jesus or thinking about all that Jesus has done for us and thinking about all that Jesus will do for us 
I think that joy, and, and I got this from another author, I don't remember who, but joy is a byproduct of two things as far as this context go. First, it's a byproduct of Romans 8.28, which tells us, if you can remember back several weeks, for those of you who are here, that God works all things for the good of those who love him. That every circumstance, every situation that we face, that we go through, God uses it for our good. And remember, it's that passage, that verse follows Paul's call to pray. And if you remember what I said, it's this. We pray knowing that even if we pray the wrong things, even if we pray idiotic things, even if we pray stupid prayers, if we love God, if we've embraced the gift of Jesus' salvation, then we can trust that God still is going to work all of the situations for our good. If he says no, it's for our betterment. If he says yes, it's for our betterment. It's all for our good. And so we can rejoice always because we know that any situation God lets us go through, is going, it's going to produce in us something good. It is for our good. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. In the book of 1 Thessalonians, sanctification is key. And when we think about God working all things for our good, we must know that part of that is growing in our relationship with God. You hopefully want to grow if you're a Christian in your relationship with God. You want to live for him more. You want to sense his presence better. You want to do more for him. You want to spend more time with him. All of these things that hopefully we want to grow in. We want to grow in our love and our passion and all the fruits of the spirit that follow in Galatians 5, what I just read. We want to grow in all of those things. And what Paul has said in his epistles and his letters is that we can trust that no matter what we face, God is working all of these things unto our good, unto our growth in him. If God allows you to go through things, then you can bet that God is using those things to grow you. Now, I'm not saying that God is causing those things, that God is doing those things, that God is behind those things, but we know that if he lets us go through them, then he is using them for our good and for our growth. The second, the second you know, thing that, that leads to joy is just recognizing what I've already said, that when God comes back, he's going to make all these things right. That, that eventually we will win, eventually everything will be better for us, eventually everything will be perfect for us, in fact, and we will no longer have to entreat God on our own behalf for you know, help and for all the things that we need because everything that we need we will have and everything good we will have without any of the bad. Now, it's important to note that this isn't like a, just a, a feeling of happiness all the time. Uh, there's a few things that bother me more, but there's not a lot of things that bother me more than Christians that act overly happy all the time. I find, uh, we just don't, we don't, you're, I, if you are that, I don't know that about you. Um, but uh, I'm thankful we don't have a church where people just, you know, they put on a show of happiness. It's annoying. Uh, and it's not believable because we get sad. We are sad sometimes. And, and, and the reality is this isn't that. This isn't saying, well, I'm just going to fake happiness and look like I'm happy and put a smile on all the time. It's closer, I think, to what the Old Testament says. Things like this, shout for joy to the Lord or come let us sing for joy to the Lord. It's really a celebration of the work of God despite what may be going on around us. 
And I believe that we can find it in ourselves to rejoice in the Lord always, even if we don't always feel joyful. We can always find it in us to celebrate the work of God, even when the situations around us are not worth celebrating. They're, they're sad. And we do that by remembering that God is working all things for the good of us and that ultimately everything will be good for us. And so I would say what Paul is getting at here is, is something like this. In the darkest, worst moments, continue to celebrate the things that God has done in you the things that God is doing for you and the things that God will do for you in eternity. Now that's hard. That's not like, you know, I gave you the out that it's not just this feeling of happiness all the time. That's impossible. But it's, I'm not saying that it's really easy to find it in yourself to celebrate, to rejoice in the Lord at all times. That's hard. But it's something that we should do as we learn to listen to the work that God is doing in our lives and we reflect more and more on God's goodness to us in every situation and for eternity. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, he says this thing, pray continually, pray continually. Now I grew up in a, a Christian home and, uh, and there's certain verses uh, if you grew up in a Christian home and, uh, and I know this is, if you're older than me, this is, this is harder to overcome, but even in my age, if you grow up in a Christian home, then you know certain verses in the King James Version of the Bible. And, and I just want to pause. I even put this in a uh, parenthesis on my notes. And I just want to say, uh, there's different versions of the Bible. Maybe you wonder this for very good reason. It's hard to take the meanings of word, words in one language and to put them into another language. If you speak multiple languages, then you already know that, and I'm not teaching you anything new. But, but different translations of the Bible, almost all of them that you know, are good in that they are people, men, groups of people, that have come together to say, hey, we can bring out this meaning in maybe a, a more useful and beneficial way. And so if somebody says, you know, what translation of the Bible you use, I would hope you'd say, well, I, I use a bunch of them. Uh, because some of them help us to know exactly what the definition of the word is. And some of them, they look at the sentence and they say, well, this helps me understand that this is the, how the sentence should be translated in English. And so they're all meaningful and valuable. That's why we have different translations. And uh, one other thing, language updates over time. And so when the King James Version was written some 500 years ago, uh, we, language has changed since then. And so the phrases that are used, the expressions that are used, they don't make any sense to us anymore because our language has changed over time, even though it's still English. My goodness, with the way that the internet works today and uh, I mean, all these kids with their crazy statements. I mean, language is changing all the time. Like, you can say, that slaps. I just learned this a couple weeks ago. That means good. It's like, cool. Like, what's up? That slaps. If any of you want to tell me that about my sermon afterwards, I'll totally take it as a compliment. But like, if I said that slaps, in my age range, you'd think, who got hit, right? I mean, and now you can say it is a good, I'm probably not even saying it right. But this is why translations are important. But I learned this, this verse I just knew this verse growing up from the King James Version, which says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. It's not dissimilar to Ephesians 6.18 or Philippians 4.6. Ephesians 6.18 says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. You notice all the alls in there? Philippians, uh, sorry, that was Ephesians 6.18. Philippians 4.6. 
says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Hopefully you're seeing a theme in this series. Hopefully you're seeing a theme in just the last one minute of verses I read and things I said that, that Paul is really obsessed in his writings with the idea that we would pray and that we would pray often and we would pray about everything, we pray in every situation, that we would be a people of prayer. As I said last week, not just people who pray, but a people of prayer. That we who are Christians would be people of prayer. He wants readers, all of his readers, in every church, in every city, to take prayer seriously. Interestingly, in verse 25, he does what he almost does at the end of every letter. He asks the people in Thessalonica to pray for him. He really wants prayer. He really wants us to pray. And it's all because he believes, you can just tell, he believes in the power of prayer. He believes that God works through prayer. He believes in the necessity of prayer. He believes that without prayer, things will be different and they will not be better. Even more, Paul took this call. It's easy to tell people to pray. I know that because I'm preaching on prayer. It's still really hard to do even when you're telling other people to do it. And apparently Paul took his own words very seriously in 2 Thessalonians 1.11. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you. In Colossians 1.9 to another church, he says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Paul is constantly in prayer. I mean, when, when you're a guy like Paul that's traveling the known world, telling more and more people about Jesus and, and planting all these churches, to be constantly in prayer for, for several churches, I mean, it's hard enough to be constantly in prayer for one church, to be constantly in prayer for several churches, that's a hard thing to do, but it shows that he was absolutely devoted to it and he was praying continually and he wants us to do the same. But there's this nuance and I love this. There's this nuance in Paul's word choice here in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Uh, the word is more literally unceasingly than it is continually. Uh, the word biblical commentary says pray incessantly. It doesn't mean literally every second of the day, but it means rather like the frequency with how often you pray. The New International Greek Testament commentary says, obviously he does not mean this to be taken literally, but he does expect his converts to remember continually to pray for their own needs and the needs of others. This was presumably to be done both privately and in the corporate prayers of the church. G.K. Beale, another uh, author of a commentary, says, during our daily activities we must focus on the task at hand, but we must never lose sight of God in our spiritual peripheral vision. John Piper, who I love, and who is actually the voiceover on uh, this sermon series. Uh, we got some audio from one of his sermons. He says that there's three aspects to unceasing prayer. And I really like what he says. He says, first, it's having a dependency on God. It's recognizing that we need God in every situation, in every moment of every day. We need him. Part of unceasing prayer is just saying, God, I can't do anything good, anything right, anything well without you. I need you. He says that it's, praying repeatedly and often you just keep praying you find times to pray you just keep praying and he says it's never giving up on prayer as we said it last week it's being devoted to prayer or persevering in prayer 
thebible.org says it's unceasingly, notice this next phrase, it's really helpful for me, without intermission. I like that a lot, without intermission. Reminded me of my in-laws. I, uh, I like my in-laws a lot. In fact, I am doing the premarital counseling for my brother-in-law and his fiance Hannah right now. And, and this week, um, by chance, we were on the section where we talked about now, in-laws and, you know, kind of uh, dealing with in-laws. Uh, Hannah didn't say it that way, for the record, for all of the, my in-laws who are here this morning. But, uh, but this, is a, this is a hard thing. In fact, uh, my sermon that is listened to online the most is a sermon called In-Laws. And I, I can only guess that it's because people really struggle with this. We've had somebody reach out to our church and say it's the only one on the internet, which shocks me. Uh, 2,000 listens since July 1st of this year now on just that sermon that's like four years old. And so we were talking about in-laws and at some point I realized Hannah is gonna have my same in-laws. Except she added me, I guess. Like, we have the same in-laws. And, and so I was talking about, you know, how, how much I like my in-laws and, you know, how they're there for you and all, all of these good things. And, and so I say all that just to say I like my in-laws because, you know, many of them are here. But, but there's, there's this one, yes, lesson number one. But there's this thing that, that my in-laws, it's bad. And some of them know and they don't like it either. But it, it, it is, it's horrible. And, like, it's almost sinful feeling. Uh, when Bryn and I were dating, she lived at home, and, and, and sometimes I would come over and I'd try to watch a movie uh, with my in-laws. Uh, I brought a movie just for illustrative purposes. We never watched E.T. Seemed like a safe bet. Nobody was going to complain about anything in E.T. Uh, and, and we would start to watch these movies. And everybody needs breaks in movies, right? Like somebody's got to go to the bathroom or whatever. The Duffs, my in-laws, they need four-hour breaks in the middle of movies. Like, hey, 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 I want to get some popcorn. All right, I'm going to run to the store and buy some popcorn. Well, I forgot something at the store when I was there. Maybe we want to add chocolate drizzle to the popcorn. I need to go to the bathroom. I need to poop. I need to go to the bathroom. You're like... I don't remember what happened at the beginning of the movie by the time you start the movie again. And, and I'm not joking, there's more than once where I just didn't finish a movie with them. It's like, I don't remember what, what was taking place and I'm gonna go home now. I'm just gonna leave like, see you guys later. I hope that you enjoy the movie. I hope that, that you know, you finish it eventually. Uh, let me know what happens, you know. I'm talking like, they would take the word that we just saw that we're not supposed to have about prayer, intermission. They would take intermissions in the middle of these movies and not at, you know, like correct intermission points where there's a stop in the action. It's like guy has the sword up and he's about to hit, like I need popcorn, you know? Like what? Like they're fighting on the TV. What are you doing right now? Hannah, I don't know if you should join the family. At least don't watch a movie. Uh, it is, it is a, one of the worst quirks and I, I like them. I told you I like my in-laws. I married into a, a great family and I'm very thankful for that. But man, they suck to watch a movie with. <laughs> they are absolutely the worst of all time. And when Paul says, when Paul says to, to pray without ceasing, I think he means that, you know, while the movie might be on in the background or whatever of your life, while prayer might be on in the background, you never take giant breaks away from it. And this, is, this is just shifts how we think about everything, right? Because, because we have to live our lives. 
but playing in the background of our lives always, no matter whether we're parenting or being a spouse or going to work or cleaning the house or doing the tasks that we have to get done on a weekly or daily basis or whatever, no matter what we're doing, prayer is always going on in the background. And while we might take a small break, we never, we never hit pause for very long. We never have an intermission. There's this other annoying thing about my in-laws uh, and movies. Uh, and movies. They watch the same movie over and over and over and over and over again. I've never seen the movie Troy, but I've seen all of the movie Troy about seven times just from when Bryn and I were dating. And every time I would show up, is that Brad Pitt? Brad Pitt, whoever Troy is. Brad Pitt uh, and, and Joaquin Phoenix, I think. Yeah, or Walken or Woken or something. I'm not a pop coach guy. They'd always be on the TV. So I know all about Troy from, from it just being on always. Just every, they watch two movies for the course of however, I don't know how long Brynn and I dated. I should know that. But for the year and a half, two years that Brynn and I dated, uh, they always were watching the same movies. It was just always on. People were doing things. People were, you know, having their intermissions. People were not in the room. Uh, I was told that one of my brother-in-laws fell asleep to the same movie for like two years or something, like the same movie every night. And, and this, I know it's a weird quirk, but that should be more how we take prayer than the intermissions that they take when I tried to watch movies with them. It should always be on. We should never be off from praying. It may not be the forefront of our minds always. It, it may be that we're doing other things while we're praying, but we should always be interacting with God. Tell, and remember, we're always supposed to be thanking him, so we should be thanking God for the work he's doing, and we should be asking God for help with the things that we need help with. This is paradigm shifting. I mean, you asked the question. You didn't ask it out loud, but I asked it for you. Should I pray all day long? And the answer, as I said, is yeah, you should. But this doesn't mean that you're on your knees, you know, in your room, giving up all of your responsibilities to pray. It means that while you're living life, while you are doing your responsibilities, you are constantly doing your best to stay in communion with God, to be interacting with God. Person at work is a jerk. You go, God, I thank you that you love that person. Please help me to respond correctly in a way that you would want me to respond. Boss comes, drops a bunch of stuff on your plate, you're super stressed out all of a sudden. I know what the reaction is for me, like the normal reaction, I better get started on this. But what if we were just people that said, wait, God, I thank you that I have a job. Help me to be able to get this stuff done and not be stressed about it. Your spouse is a jerk. You just wanna be a jerk back. You stop, you say, God, I know they didn't treat me right right there. I hope you will condemn them. No, God, help me, help me to, help me to respond in a way that is loving. Help me to understand where they are coming from. Help me to kind of see, you know, if they had a bad day or what led to that. Help me to respond well, God, and in a way that, you know, is a picture of, of your gospel and how you respond to the bride who is your church. Your kids won't stop acting up. Just won't stop, had it last week, just won't stop, and you just want to raise your voice and yell and send them to your room. You go, God, I thank you for these kids. Took us a long time in our marriage to have them, and I'm so thankful that they're here. And God, just help me to treat them as a loving father like you are to me. Just help me with that. I mean, what if prayer was just always playing in the background? But what I think we do is, is we're more like the intermission. We're more like I'll pray a little, and then I'll pause for long, and hopefully I'll get back to it, you know, tomorrow. 
I think that's how we do prayer when really prayer should be like the movie playing in the background and not the one that we press pause, you know, while we do everything else that seems more important during that time. I think that we need to be a people that constantly, that's what Paul's saying, we need to be a people that are constantly, unceasingly in prayer. Barry Black wrote like an op-ed for the Washington Times. I don't know who the guy is. I don't know why this was in the Washington Times, but he said, we can punctuate our moments with intervals of recurring prayer. I love that. Punctuate every single moment with unceasing prayer, with recurring prayer. Punctuate every moment with it. I mean, we've seen to this point in this series just, just how important prayer is. Like if you have a loved one and you, you know that they're struggling, then you need to pray in order to help them carry that burden. That's one of the things we saw. If you want to be protected from Satan and the work that Satan wants to do in your life, the way he wants to tear down your faith, then you need to be in prayer. If you want to have the peace of God that transcends all understanding, then you need to be in prayer. You need to be praying in every situation and for everything. That's hard. But if you'll just let prayer play all day long, then you can become a person that prays without ceasing. And you can, you can actually follow through on the things that Paul has called us to in this series through his letters that are in the New Testament. He adds to it, give thanks in all circumstances. Uh, talked a lot about this in this series, and so I don't want to uh, beat a dead horse, but... Uh, I would say, and I kind of, I said this a couple weeks ago, I think, but I, I just brushed right over. But in Romans one twenty one, ingratitude is actually a characteristic of people who don't know and love Jesus. If you're one of those, I'm just, I think that it's true, and I'm sorry to tell you, but I think it's true because we can always find it in us as Christians to say thank you to God because we believe that we win, and we believe that God's working everything for our good. And if you don't believe those things, then it's impossible to be thankful in every situation because some situations are awful. Colossians 2, 6, and 7 says, continue to live your lives in in him overflowing with thankfulness. We should be overflowing with thankfulness in every situation. And that's why when I demonstrated, when I illustrated these moments where we punctuate uh, our lives with prayer and the things we're dealing with with prayer should always include thanksgiving. Last week, I, I gave an illustration about Corey Timboom's sister. Uh, Corey Timboom, lady in kind of concentration camp. Uh, her sister was with her, and her sister said, "We need to thank God for everything." It says in the Bible, she thanked God for for the fleas. And long story short, she eventually discovered that the fleas were keeping the guards out of of her barracks, and and was giving her a level of freedom that you know most of the people uh, in the concentration camp did not have. And while that illustration is important, and I think we can say thank you to God for everything because we know that God is working all things to our good, it's more like this. We say thank you for the fleas, not because God sent the fleas to afflict us, but because God is going to use the fleas for our good, and someday the fleas will no longer bite us anymore. That's why we say thank you for the fleas. E.J. Bicknell says the Christian life is to be an unceasing Eucharist. And then, verse 18, man, it's so important. I, I just, just listen to this. Connected all three of these statements. Rejoice always, pray continually, and, and give thanks in all circumstances. 
Paul says this, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks, which all go together, right? That's all, it's all kind of one thing. They are part of God's will for us, which is part of what God wants to do in us to grow us and to sanctify us. It's so fascinating because the same phrase is used, God's will, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, right before Paul launches into a section about sexual purity. Here's what I know about Christians, we make a big deal about sexual purity, rightfully so, but far too often we make a little deal about the importance of prayer. And Paul uses this phrase, God's will, that he doesn't use very often in order to say, be sexually pure, and here's another part of God's will, rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in every circumstance. The New International Greek Testament commentary again says Paul almost never grounds ethical, uh, either ethical or what we might call spiritual behavior in the will of God. That he does so here places a strong warrant on the behavior commanded by him. This in turn indicates how important he places, how much importance he places on it for his converts. For Paul, praise, intercession, and thanksgiving are not optional for the Christian, but will require just as much as proper ethical conduct. Man, Christians can be so big on what we ought not do, right? I mean, I think a lot of outsiders just look at Christianity and think they're all about these things, this list of things that we shouldn't do, that we can't do, that they call bad, that they call evil, that they call sin. And sure, we have a list like that, but here Paul says, let me give you a list of three things that you need to do because they are God's will for you. They are part of growing in your faith, part of growing in your relationship with God. Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in every circumstance. Pray, listen to this, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Now, now here's something that I find really fascinating is that Some think this section is primarily about corporate worship. Uh, I think most people would see that it's part of it, uh, that while this has some individual aspects, it also should be done corporately. But some see it, this whole section is just about the corporate worship. In verses 12 and 13, we read about worship in the church, or leadership in the church. In verses 14 and 15, we read about fellowship. And in our passage, we read about public worship. I think that that two things need to be true. We need to be people that punctuate every moment with unceasing prayer. But we also need to be a church that when we gather, we take prayer very seriously. And next week, we're going to try to move forward a little bit in, in our prayer efforts because the passage there is all about corporate worship. But I'll leave you hanging with that. Instead, I just want to end with something that I've been focused on recently. I... Uh, I set a number for uh, minutes for Bible reading and prayer at the beginning of this year. Amount that I want to get to each day. It's not like a resolution in that like uh, I've missed some days getting to this number. I won't share my number with you. Uh, But it's a number that to get to these two things is hard for me. It's not easy to get to these uh, two numbers, these amount of minutes. And, and I'm recording the time. I'm actually using an app. I know it sounds very unspiritual, but I'm using an app to, to uh, I hit start when I start and I hit stop when I stop. And, and, and what I found what's been so beneficial to me about trying to get to these numbers 
is that often I don't have a block in the middle of the day, at the beginning of the day, at the end of the day. End of the day, I probably have a block of time this big, but I'm dead tired and I don't pray very well at night. Uh, but I don't have a, a section where I, I just can, all, every day, where I go, hey, here's the amount of time I can just devote to these things right here. And so what has forced me to do unintentionally, I wish I would thought this far ahead, but what has forced me to do is find time in the middle of the day to pray while I'm driving in between, you know, coffee with one person and coffee with another person while somebody's late for a meeting, just clicking it on and saying, I'm, I'm just going to pray right now while I'm waiting at the doctor or an appointment or whatever, just say like, I, I'm clicking prayer on and I'm going to take this time, you know, whether it's 30 seconds or a minute and pray. And man, I would have thought I would hate that because, because there's something so good about just blocking off a big section. That's important too. I'm not saying get rid of that. There's something so good about blocking off a section and it seems to get deeper and deeper as you go over a long period of time. But man, there's been something great about punctuating my moments with prayer with unceasing prayer. There's been something about having prayer playing in the background that, is, that has changed me and, and how I interact and how I live and what I do. And, and I believe that if you will be a person that lets prayer play in the background at all times, taking no intermissions, then it will change your life too. Uh, that you'll find yourself more and more able to uplift others in prayer and to, to find the protection from Satan that you need and to find the peace of God that transcends all understanding that we all want. And so I really hope that you, that you will try your best to pray without ceasing. Do your best to pray all day, every day. Uh, not, not shirking your responsibilities, not you know, forgetting everything else, but praying during those moments, finding ways to punctuate every moment with unceasing prayer. Let me pray that you'll do that. Lord Jesus, I, I thank you. Um, you know that you don't call us to pray for all of our waking uh, hours, God, while neglecting our responsibilities. But here in this passage, you answer this question that I think all of us have, Lord. Like, how can I, how can I pray for all of these things? There's so much, and said this in the series already, but social media and, and just media in general now, God, has, has caused us to feel overwhelmed, God, by the amount of things we should pray for. Uh, I think I could spend all day, every day, just praying about the political landscape in our country. Um, but, but I don't have time for that, Lord. I, it's only so many hours. And I thank you, God, here that you gave us a solution, and that is, God, to pray without ceasing, to pray all day but while we're doing other things. And I pray that we would be individuals, God. I pray for the people sitting in front of me, the people listening online, the people who will listen online, that God, when they wake up tomorrow and they start to live their lives, their regular lives, I pray, God, that, it, that every turn and every step of the way and every break, they would turn their attention to you, they would rejoice in you, they would give thanks to you, and they would pray, God, for your help. And I pray that we would be a church filled with people like that. And that even more, we would become a church like that, God. That, that our prayer meeting, our first Tuesday prayer meeting would fill up. That we would have God moving forward, no trouble praying for 24 hours as a church. I pray that when we gather here, God, it would not be uncomfortable for us to pray together, God. And that you would move us forward, God, both individually and collectively as a church that prays without ceasing, God. I pray we would never take an intermission from, from interacting with you, God. Because prayer works, and as Paul has made abundantly clear, it's very, very important. Make us a people of prayer. Make us a church of prayer, Lord. 
I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.